Good evening. Welcome. It's really good to see you guys. What a blessing to see you guys here with the veil rent, if you will. <laughs> Hope you're happy to be here. I know I am. We're continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews tonight, and we've made it to chapter three. And we see the theme of this book continuing on, and if you missed the last couple of weeks, in a couple of words, the theme is really that we have better things now. It's better. We have better things. This whole book is nothing really but a big refraction. That's what I think it is. You know when you go to your eye doctor, those crazy eye doctors, and they swing that funny little mask in front of you? Yeah, the four-opter, and they force you to choose between two things, right? Right? Which is better? Click one, click or two, right? That's Hebrews. Isn't that just really frustrating? Yeah, it's no fun for me either. <laughs> Try doing it about 30 times a day. But that's what, that's, what, that's what a refraction is. It's showing you a lens and having you look at it and say, do you prefer this? Does this look better or click? Does choice two look better? That's the book of Hebrews. Really, in a nutshell, what it's doing is holding Jesus up as choice one going click, and you're gonna look at it, and we're gonna look at him here again today, and then we're gonna show you something else. Last week, it was the Torah. The week before, the angels click. What do you think? Which one are we picking? That's Hebrews. In chapter three, it's a refraction, really. Who's better, Jesus or Moses? That's the choice. And it's an easy choice for the American believer, right? <laughs> but you got to remember, this is the book of Hebrews. It's written to Jewish, hence the word Hebrew, believers. Saved by grace in the New Testament sense. That's who it was written to. So these guys had some baggage. Generation after generation after generation of traditions, history, apostles, prophets, leaders, heroes, law, ceremony. Just, it was part of their lives. We don't get that as Americans. It was part of their social life. Their whole social construct was around the temple and the ability to worship. So we say, this is a, as my kids would say when they're young, no duh, Jesus is better, right? No duh. This is, we have to realize this was written to a bunch of Jews who had believed, but yet were falling back under Moses' household and practicing the law. So that's the context Today, we'll find out, obviously, that Jesus is much better. He's far superior, obviously. We're going to see that today. And in light of that, the reader is challenged to live in Jesus Christ instead of living in Moses. That's really the thrust of today. And we'll see that theme woven through just three sections here. It'll be easy and fast. I think the first six verses, we're going to look into... If you're a note taker, we're going to look into two households, okay? Jesus's and Moses's, and we're going to compare them. 
okay? That's verses one through six. And if you are looking at the ESV, which is usually what we do in here, and it is a, a great uh, translation, it doesn't do Hebrews chapter three ju justice. So if you have a New King James or a King James, I, uh, you, you might do a little better with this chapter and follow me a little bit better. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm, when I study, I, I look at the interlinear. So I'm going to look at the Greek first. So in, in, sometimes the ESV is spot on and other times it makes it harder. Usually today I would recommend if you have a digital, go to a new King James or a King James, or if you have an interlinear, go to the Greek. But anyways, so that's one through six. The next section, uh, we're going to look into those two households on one through six. Seven through 11, we're going to look at a, <laughs> what it's like to live in Moses's household, in the inferior household. It's an example of the Jews, and we just finished Exodus, so it'll be easy to follow. And then the final section, verses 12 through 14, we're going to talk and, and look into living in Jesus's household. And we'll see that faith really unlocks that. That's what held back uh, the Jews was, was, was their disbelief. So looking into two households, living in the inferior household, and then living in the superior household. You guys ready? Yes. Awesome. Hey, those are really cool glasses. Just have a good eye doctor, probably. Looking into two households, verses one through six. Let's check it out. We're gonna start with verse one. Before we look into the two households, check out verse one. This is gonna set the scene for us. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Listen, before we're gonna address these two households, the, the author here directs our mind upward to the excellency and the superiority of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you caught it there. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. What he's saying here is, you Jewish, you Hebrews, who have believed, you have a heavenly calling, you saved Jews, consider something. And this consider word is really an awesome word. It's to consider closely to perceive clearly, to understand fully. It's to focus in precisely on Jesus Christ and his superiority. In the words of the best, most excellent karate sensei that's ever walked U.S., Mr. Miyagi, focus, Danielson, focus. You must focus. This is the idea. Block out the noise and look attentively at Jesus Christ. Study after study has shown you want to you be attentive, you want to focus or attention. It's not just based on you looking at something intently. It's having the skill, it's a different part of your brain to do that as well as to block out the noise. Block out the baggage. It's what Esther said when she came up here. Let's take a moment and focus in on the Lord. Let's, whatever the busyness of your life, let's suppress that and encourage and highlight Jesus Christ. That's that word consider, all in one word, consider. 
remember, these believers had some baggage. As I'm assuming, some of us have a little baggage. Amen? There's all sorts of stuff spinning right now, right? I mean, come on. Look at the times. Right? We all have stuff. And what the author is saying here, you Christian, you Hebrew Christians, you American Christians, focus. Set the circus down for a second and focus in on Jesus Christ and his excellencies. That's how we want to gird our mind right now. Understand fully. And he talks in the Jewish language here. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Those words would mean something to a Jew. Do you know that? It should mean something to us as well. We just finished the book of Exodus. The apostle. Jesus, Jesus is not referred to the apostle very often. But he's making a point here. What is an apostle? Apostle is a sent one with a specific purpose. This is, and these Jews would have seen tons of apostles come and go, right? They knew their Bible. They knew their history. He's saying, focus in on the apostle, the one who was sent from the Father with a specific purpose. And that was to give his life a ransom for many, right? John chapter 10, that he would lay down his life. Remember, no one takes it from me. I'm laying it down because my father told me to, and I'm going to listen to him. That's why I lay down my life. I have the power to lay it down and to pick it back up. The father granted me that power. That's my mission. He's making a point here. Focus in on the apostle. This is the apostle <laughs> that's fulfilling all the types that the old apostles were bringing. They all had purposes. They all had, they had types of Jesuses, types of Christ that they were pointing to. Here's the one that's fulfilling all those types, right? This is the apostle. And he also calls him the high priest. And they knew what the high priest was in the Jewish religion. And we know what, under the law, what the high priest did. He consecrated himself. He mediated for. He dedicated himself and stood between a holy God and sinful man. Isn't that what he did? He kept... <laughs> Through God, the people clean. That's what he did. Oh, come on. That's Jesus Christ. Jew, listen to me. I know you know what the high priest was back then. This is the high priest. Jesus Christ, our high priest, who has dedicated himself from keeping you and I in fellowship and saved so no one can take us from him. He stands between God the Father and sinful man still in an ultimate sense, you see. One of the biggest miracles in the world is that when God the Father looks at you and I, his church, he sees and views you through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. He only can do that because Jesus is exalted at his right hand as the ultimate high priest. Amen? So Jesus is looking at your failure and going, I still see you in Christ through Jesus in what he did. He's advocating for us. He's dedicated his whole life for us as the great high priest, right? 
There's a great little verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, and we use it all the time. It teaches husbands how to love their wives. Do you know this verse? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave himself for her. That gave word is, this same word is dedicated. It's what the high priest did. Husbands, we're to dedicate our lives for our wives. That's how you love them. That's how Jesus Christ right now is loving you. He's keeping you saved. Time after time, when you're accused, when you fail, Father looks at you and goes, it's finished. I look at you through Jesus, the high priest. Amen? Next week, we're going to read one of the best verses about Jesus, our high, high priest, in chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our needs, right? Who is tempted in all ways, yet without sin, right? Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen? Yeah, you come. You get your mercy and your grace in your time of need. Amen? That's our high priest who dispenses grace and mercy instead of wrath and fury. Amen? He uses the right language. One a Jew would understand, and I hope it's one that we understand. Amen? Consider this one. Consider him before we look at two households. Check this out. I want you to see Jesus' household and Moses' household in verses 2 through 6 here. Let me read it, and then we'll go back through it. 2, talking of Jesus. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as also Moses was faithful to all of his house. For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, in so much as he who builds the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of these things which were spoken afterwards. But on the other hand, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Does everybody see two houses there? There's two distinct houses with two faithful overseers, Jesus and Moses. First, let's see what Moses' household looks like. In verse 2, it said, Moses also was faithful over his own house. What was Moses' house? We just, we just studied Exodus. He was over the household of Israel, Right? What was the household rule when, 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 when Moses oversaw the Jews? What was the household rule? Not how you get saved, but what, was, what were they supposed to do? They were under the law. That was the household rule. So you have Moses here, faithful over his house, which was the house of the Jews, right? And their rule of law, their lifestyle was to revolve around the law. Okay, that's Moses, and he was faithful to that. Amen? You remember Moses and Jesus were compared in John chapter 1, verse 17. Remember, it says, Moses, the law came through who? Came through Moses. So that's a household he's talking about here. Moses, Jews, under law. That's one household he's trying to remind these Hebrews of. And it said he had glory, 
Look at verse three. Not compared to Jesus, but it said he had, he had glory. Jesus had more glory than Moses, saying that Moses had some sort of honor and glory, right? Verse five, only enough glory as a servant gets, right? He was a servant in a house that was built by someone else, right? So here's Jesus. I mean, here's Moses. We're going to click it here. You have Moses. Here it talks about his house. He was faithful over it. It was the household of Israel under the law, right? He had glory. Moses had glory. Glory as a servant in a house that was built by Jesus Christ. That's all we know right now. There's choice one. Hebrew, I know you love Moses. and know he's the par excellence of your fathers. That's what you got with Moses. Now we're going to look at Jesus in those same verses. Jesus also was a faithful overseer. Check it out. Verse 2, who, it's Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him to his house. What is Jesus' house? We get it in verse 6. It says, we are this house. Jesus is over the church, the chosen ones, of which these Hebrew believers belonged. So then you have Jesus. Household was the church. What's the household rule of the church? It's grace. Remember, again, John chapter 1, verse 17, the law came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus, grace and truth. Now, please, don't, don't confuse this with salvation. Salvation's always been through grace by faith, right? That's how the, everybody got saved. But the household rule under Moses was the law. And the household rule that we're under right now in Jesus' house is grace. Everything we are to do right now should be structured and revolving around grace. You can't earn salvation, so we should live our salvation, right? It's a response. It should be done in grace, graciously, free of the law and all that baggage. Amen? It should be a real big amen. It should be Jesus' household is the church, and the household rules at that time and are right now is grace. And he had glory. It said he had much more glory than Moses in verse 3 because he's the one that built the house. Of course, the builder has more glory and honor than the servant, right? That makes sense. A couple years ago, I had a wedding at my house, and they're usually young couples that we try to help out. And, and one of the things I do is my gift to them is, is I, I, I try to make everything look really pretty in my backyard. So I water and I mow and I fertilize and I clip and I, it's just my deal. I want, that's my gift. This is going to look perfect. And I do that up to the day they're married. In the morning I mow that thing. It's, it's right spot on. In the morning of I was mowing and some of the family were already getting ready. And one of them came by and said, Hey, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I said, hi, I'm the groundskeeper. Because I am. <laughs> I'm busy. I'll talk to you later. Well, later on in the wedding, when he figured out who I was, that I actually owned the house and built part of it with my own two hands, he said, oh, you should have told me you own this place. Man, he had a whole different take on me than I was on the mower. Of course, the builder has more honor 
more glory than the servant. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus had more glory because not only was the he builder of Moses' house and his own house, but listen, Christ was also the son over his own house, verse 6. Sons are built to take over, to inherit. This isn't a servant. Jesus Christ as a son over his house. Listen, <laughs> sometimes when I'm out with my boys and all my property, we're doing work, and sometimes I look at them, and they think I'm joking, but I'm dead serious. I look at them, I say, you see all this stuff? Look around. You can have all this stuff. Just don't put me in an old person's home. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> Just let me live here when I get old. I'm preparing all of this for my sons. Whether they take it or not, or where life takes them, I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. I'm a dad, and I'm building for them. And I hope they do inherit it and come over and make it something better than I did. That's the honor. That's the superiority of a son over a servant. So you have Jesus here held up as not only the builder of the house, but the son of the house. And it says here, we are. We're the church. Moses had a house that was. Jesus has a house that is. Amen? That's key. Now listen. I'm going to swing that four-opter in front of you, and I want you to look at these two houses and tell me which one you like better. You see, the Holy Spirit, through this writer right here, is trying to adjust and expand the Jewish mindset. He's trying to expand our way of thinking outside the box of Judaism. He's trying them to get them to direct their faith at the, the apostle, the high priest, and the distinct households here, which Jesus is far superior. He offers a better lifestyle. To us, that says, that's great. But these guys were living in the wrong household, more than likely. They didn't have to live there anymore. Although they were Hebrew, they were over into the church. Click. Here's Moses, guys. He's a great guy. Had glory. He was faithful. Okay? He was good to your fathers. But he was hamstrung by the law. And he was trying to point you guys to something. He was trying to point you to the Christ. All that ceremonial law, all those types all those things that we were learning about, it all was pointing towards this one and this house of which you belong. Get back over there. Get back where you belong was his, is, is, is the appeal here, you see. There's a tricky little word here in verse 6 I want to address. It says, we are in this house if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. And I'm surprised how many commentators are applying this to salvation. This, this isn't saying you're of Jesus' house and he will remove you from your place in his house and your salvation will be removed if you don't do these things. That just goes against all scripture. He's talking about the lifestyle of grace that you have in Jesus Christ versus the lifestyle, the law that you have under Moses. He says, listen, you have this. Salvation has always been 
by grace, through faith. Always. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to fall back under and live under Moses' household? That's what he's saying. If you want to be over here, you need to do these certain things. We need to direct your faith and have a lifestyle in the proper household, guys. That's what he's hitting at. So there's two households, Jesus and Moses, which is better. And don't tell me it's the same. That frustrates me when you guys do that. I'm just telling you. Why would, now, why would it be the same? <laughs> why would I waste your time and my time, right? I'm just teasing you. Listen, Jesus is superior. His household has better lifestyles, right? That's the first section. We looked into two households. Jesus is, is better. The next section, verses 7 through 11, and we're going to partner those with 15 through 19 because they're virtually the same verses. We're going to see a, an example of the Jews back when living under an inferior lifestyle. So just in case you picked the wrong one, because you guys do that all the time when I give you eye exam, I'm going to give you another chance, okay? You want to see that again? Yeah, I'll repeat it yet again. <sighs> Here it is. You want the example? If you pick the wrong lens, hey, my Hebrew brother who's saved by grace, you still living in the law? Let me remind you of the example of your forefathers and how they lived. Let's look at it, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, <laughs> today, if you will hear his voice, combine that with verse 15, verse, the first part of it says exactly the same thing. Today, if you will hear his voice, quoting Psalm 95. <laughs> Did they listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in the wilderness? For the most part, for the most part, this isn't an example you want to follow. The Jews who all died in the wilderness because of their disbelief. It's an example to look at and learn from. Okay? Verse 7 says that they did not listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. That's what they didn't do. It says here, if you will hear his voice, and they didn't. And this hear word, and say like, uh, it means, it's not the English word like hear. It means hear and respond, Right? It's here with understanding. It's actually hearing something, have ears enough to hear it to actually do something. That's the hear word here. Every parent understands the distinction I'm making, right? When you tell your kids to, let's say, move the irrigation line on the top field. Hey, boys, I'd like you to move the top line of the irrigation on the top field. Got it, Dad. Thanks. An hour goes by, and you look, and you don't see any water. So you go back in. And what do you say? Hey, hey boys, I, I'm trying to be generous with them. Is there any way that you can move the irrigation on the top field? You know how they respond? Yeah, you already told us that. You told us that the first time. Hey, hang on a second. You, you heard me the first time? You really didn't hear me. Really, what you did is you ignored me. That's what they did. And that's what the Jews did. They heard, 
and they didn't respond. So did they really hear? And time and time again, when you hear about the Jews in the New Testament, it says they had ears that did not hear. And that's what they're talking about. They heard, but they didn't respond to the Holy Spirit. We must listen and respond to divine authority. Truth that is not acted upon is not really heard. And as we'll see, it hardens hearts. That's what it does. It hardens your heart. And it gets harder to believe in the future. It's a vicious downward spiral, you see. And do you see what he says and when he says to hear? Today. And that is a wonderful word. I want to encourage you today to look at the word today. Today, you always have a choice. That's what I've learned. You have today. You have a choice to act and respond from your past and to your past. You also have a choice to act, and it will affect your future. That's today. In today, we have a choice to respond to the past and to make choices that can better our future. There's no time like today, smart person has once said. Are any of you guys old enough? Or any of you guys experienced enough to say in your hearts, you don't know what tomorrow holds? You don't know about tomorrow. Only God knows about tomorrow, and you do not know about tomorrow. Today is important, and if there's something on your heart that God has impressed on you, I would encourage you and encourage me to do it today, and don't wait for tomorrow. There's people in here right now that don't have daughters and don't have sons and don't have mothers and don't have fathers and don't have spouses anymore because tomorrow never came. Amen? Today, if God has put something on your heart, do it. Say what you need to say. Do what you need to do today. Did I just quote John Mayer? I don't know what just happened. But do it. <laughs> say what you need to say. <laughs> Sorry. There's nothing like today. It's nothing like today. You know what I know about tomorrow? You don't know about it, but sometimes it just flat out sucks. Ask the muskrat that used to be swimming in my pond. I this muskrat, now we're on the irrigation theme here because I'm trying to do a little ranching in this, my spare time. Is I turned my pump on the other day and it made a, I'm not very mechanical, but it made a really weird noise. Like, whoa, that's not good, is all I said. And I couldn't prime my pump forever, and I gave up on it because it got dark. And the next day, I ended up taking it apart. And what did I find? Little legs sticking out. A muskrat got sucked up and got caught in my impellers. It was horrible. Sorry. <laughs> my foot valve must not have the screen on it. I took a picture of it. It's a crazy cool picture. And I sent it to my son, who's my head irrigation specialist, when he doesn't desert me to go to college. And I said, hey, Gabe, what do you think about this? And you know what he texted me back? <laughs> he said, I wonder what his last thoughts were. <laughs> and you know what I responded? Like an old dad, I said, this really sucks. 
Get it? He got sucked up. Life can suck. Ask the poor muskrat. I want to encourage you today that if there's something to do today, if the Holy Spirit is something, put something on your heart, today is the day. Amen? I love when people pray and they, they pray for something and they say, this day, this day. I love that. Father, give us our daily bread today, today. Amen? All right. What else did they do? When you don't listen and respond, it can harden your heart. Look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of the trial in the wilderness. You partner that with verse 15, the end of it. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And verse 16, for who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all that that came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Here's your example. They hardened their hearts. God put something on their heart to use their faith so they could actually enter their promised land. They curbed it. They stuffed it. They didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, and it hardened their hearts. The hearts became impliable, dry, brittle, unmovable, stubborn, and obstinate people, the Lord would call these people. That's a hardened heart. And that's no condition for the heart to live. Did you know that? It's no condition at all. None. The heart is very important. It's where your soul and your spirit collide. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, So a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Means your heart is part of your intellect. In Romans chapter 9, verse 2, it also says that part of your emotions are tied to your heart. Paul there said, I'm grieved in my heart. He had emotional in his heart. So it's part of your emotions. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says this. It says, Paul talking about how to give. You want to know how to give in this dispensation, in this time, in this household of Jesus Christ? It says this. You should give as you propose in your own heart, not out of obligation. Because Jesus, what? He loves a cheerful giver. What we want to get out of that is proposed in your heart. That's your will. So your heart involves your mind, your emotions, your will. It's, it's, it's a big thing to be hard and stiff and unpliable, right? We don't want that. The Jews had hard hearts in their day of rebellion. They didn't listen. They didn't trust and let faith soften their hearts. So they failed to enter their promised land, as we'll see. Let's check it out in verse 9. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, God says, and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Same verse as verse 17. Now with whom he was angry 40 years. Was it not those who sinned and whose corpses fell in the wilderness? What a, that's actually a pretty vivid illustration, don't you think? They didn't listen. God was angry for them. And their corpses fell for 40 years as they took another lap around Mount Sinai for 40 years until everybody older than 20 died. All those people did not enter, as we'll see, their promised land because they didn't believe. And the corpses and the bones and the carnage of a lot of Israelites, over a million people are in that wilderness. Anybody think about that? That's a great illustration to look 
at people who are trying to live back at that time. And there's bones in that wilderness right now. A million of them. Remember the two people that made it out? Joshua and Caleb, because they believed, right? And I might add this. I think the third person made it. It's Joseph. Do you remember the witness of Joseph's bones? You remember in Genesis chapter 15, 50, when he was about ready to die in Egypt, he said, by faith, I believe the promise God made to my fathers. We will get out of Egypt. When I die, he made his family promise to bring him to the promised land. And you see in Exodus chapter 13, it says Moses gathered his bones. I love this. Take my bones to the promised land. That's faith. Can you imagine as they're making another round and everybody's dying, everybody's dying, you have the bones of a man who isn't even alive having faith. That's a witness. And those guys ignored that with their hard hearts, with their erring ways. There's no way to live. Verse 11, so God swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Same verses as 18 and 19. And to whom he swore that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter, and here's the key, because of their disbelief. The fundamental problem with living in Moses' household, as this illustrates, is the law requires no faith. Just do this. Do this. Do this. That's the fundamental problem with it. And these Jews did not listen to the bigger picture. And there you have it. I want to finish with just two quick little verses, three verses. That's an illustration of the right household. And as us, the church living in the body of Christ, what we have. And this is the urging and the encouragement that this writer is saying, don't live over here in these examples. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and harden your heart. Right? Don't have disbelief. You're not going to enter into your promises. Don't do that spiral. Instead, do this. Check it out in verse 12. He starts with a little warning here. Check it out. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief. And that's really the heart of the matter. In departing from the living God. Oh, listen, if we want to live in the superior or proper household, by faith is what it's going to take. That's what he's saying here. It's by faith we keep our fellowship with God and live in this household. He starts by warning them, you got to live by faith, not by sight. The fundamental thing you need to realize about faith is it's serious business to God. Did you know that? It's serious business. Uh, uh, the faith chapter, we'll get there, 11, right? Hebrews 11, where faith is defined and the hall of faith is listed. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it simply says, it's impossible to please God without faith. That's what he wants from us. Is a life dependent on him? You got to live by faith. It says here, if we are not walking by faith, we will depart from the living God. Now listen, don't confuse fellowship with salvation again. We'll have this talk again, okay? 
<laughs> He's talking about if you want to live in this household and walk side by side with God and have fellowship and not stand off from him, depart from him, you want to feel him close to you, you need to stay. He's not going to move. You're the one that moves when you, with your disbelief. He says you need to have faith. I'm talking about salvation. That's one act salvation is based on faith. It's dependent on God and his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, right? Saved by grace through faith, not of a work, lest any man boast. It's a gift from God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I encourage you today? Authentic salvation. He will never leave you nor forsake you when you come into his household, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Nothing. Not even you. Nothing. Not even you. No created beings can separate you. I always remember that. Not even me? No, not even you. <laughs> Nobody can snatch you out of Jesus' hands, he would say in John chapter 10. Listen, you're in my hand. You're in my house. You may break fellowship from me. But I'm here, and I ain't letting you go. And then you're double covered because my father's got my hand. Amen? Listen, authentic salvation, and that may be the issue that a lot of people struggle with. If it's real, it ain't going anywhere. Right? Places us in a position of security and safety from all pending danger of removal. That's what authentic salvation does. Remember that hymn, Blessed Assurance? Jesus is mine. That's it. That's not what he's talking about here. I wanted to encourage you today. He ain't taking that away. You're not departing from that living God. What he's talking about is you departing from his fellowship. If you want fellowship, we need to have a continual attitude of walking by faith and dependency on him. Amen? If we depart from the life of fellowship with God, we depart from the joys of the true spiritual life living in Jesus' superior house. Amen? Anybody been there? It's a dry desert, isn't it? That's what he's getting at here. And one way to help you with your disbelief, and this will almost be our last point, is verse 13. Check it out. Exhort one another daily why it's called today, lest any of you harden through dis the deceitfulness of sin, the sin of disbelief. Listen, here, here's what that verse means. is There's an anecdote. There is to disbelief. And one of them is exhortation. Did you know that? It's exhortation. Listen, exhortation is really, literally, it means to call to one side. Paracle means calling to one side, not shouting at a distance, being close enough with someone to spend some coupons and speak into their life in an encouraging and challenging way, saying things like, hey, man, at arm's, at arm's length here, hey, get going. You can do this. You should have confidence. You can do better. This is you. Keep on keeping on. I'm here for you. Listen, you're not going through it alone. I'm right here. I'm para beside you, calling out, encouraging future action. That's encouragement. And that kind of encouragement curbs disbelief. Any coach knows this. Any parent knows that. How often when we talk to our kids, I'm not smart enough. Dad, I'm not good enough. 
with a little encouragement, with a little exhortation, you get them to kind of believe in themselves, right? Yes, you can. It's okay. Yes, you can. You keep going on. That's the right path. You keep on keeping on. Or sometimes, like in the, in, in the case of my, one of my kids, you better get going, <laughs> right? I love you, but you better get going. Time's running short. That can curb disbelief. Any coach knows this. Any parent knows this. It's you encourage them that they can, that they're capable, that they're worthy of to make the next play, to make the next grade, right? To make the next relationship. That's the key. It's a great anecdote for it. I've been spending some time at Oregon State. I know it hurts as an alumni of the University of Oregon, but my son, Gabe, wrestles there. He's on the wrestling team, so I spent, I've been spending some time up there, and they have this great poster on their board, up on their room, and I like it. It says something like this. It says, if you want to succeed, you have to first believe you are worthy. That's an interesting quote to me. If you want to succeed, you must first believe that you are worthy of success. That's exhortation. It's, to me, pointing to the fact that people need to be told that they can't do something that they can believe in something. And that's why he wants us to do that today, is exhort one another. Finally, our last verse here, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence, steadfast in the end, partakers of the Christ. That's a great verse. We are sharing together in Jesus' household, Jesus Christ himself, there's a small distinction here. He says, the Christ. We're sharing in the Christ. And man, I'm a word hound when I study. And this is not just we share Christ. This means it's used. It's used in the New Testament to refer to Jesus Christ as the head and us, his church, as the body. It's the body of Christ. The Christ. We share in that. Now, come on, we're going to close with this, but I want you to get fired up here because listen to me. If Jesus Christ is the head and we're his body and we share in him and with each other, that's a lot different than the other household, is it not? It opens up a whole new perspective. If we are sharing in the Christ, we have all that Christ has, amen? We have no condemnation, right, in Christ, we have been accepted in Christ, right? Come on, this is, this is far beyond the law. This is blowing the Jewish mind. This is blow, should blow our mind. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? amen? This should blow our minds. We're sharing in Jesus Christ. This is a far superior household, amen? So listen, Jesus is better because he has a better house and we should be living in that house. So this is a message to the Hebrew believer. It's a message to us. Jesus, click. Moses, click. I'm going to pick Jesus. How about you? Yes. Listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? Let him soften your heart. Be open to what he's doing today. Live by faith, and you'll be living in that household. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your wonderful scripture Thank you for 
the most excellent, superior Jesus Christ. I pray that we live in him this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great night, guys.